0: Today in Agronomy on kfil 1060 with pioneer field agronomist, Allie Wise and Josh Schaffner, here's Josh and Allie.
1: Good morning, Southeast Minnesota. Today is July 21st, 2021. Josh, this is episode number 77. So, so far as we've come into this pollination window, we've got a nice supply of soil moisture that we're working with, so we're grateful for that. Um, some nice sunny days coming this week. Um, So nice to see some heat to keep, but hopefully not too much heat to kind of maximize this kernel set here. Very important stage in terms of of pollination and then and then water uptake within these plants. But um, I think obviously a lot of planes, ground rigs, helicopters flying, making fungicide applications right now. Um, So certainly a lot going on across the countryside. Um, But I think good to just take some time to look at where we're sitting from a, a weather perspective right now.
0: Yeah, Allie, I think we should. And uh it's good to be back. I had a week off there, so good to be back on the show. And uh yeah, it's always interesting when you get away for a week just how much things change. It seems like day to day it's it's always hard just to to see it. But now it, uh, yeah, just a big change. They get back in the swing of things and uh and yeah, you look at the weather here, um some much needed rain uh last week across southeast Minnesota. Um, I think still kind of the story is we've been uh you know, very low on, on kind of overall subsoil moisture, but there are rains here in Southeast have been extremely timely and, and in pretty good quantities. Still some variability uh, across the listening area, but um, but overall last week, um, you know, average, we kind of picked up a, a little over an inch if you just kind of average all the locations together, uh, which was much needed. And um, I think for the most part, from a moisture standpoint, we, it can probably carry us through pollination. Uh, but as you did mention, we do got some big heats here, and that'll probably be something we got to you know, interesting to see how that plays out uh, over the next 10 days through pollination, especially, um, you know, the daytime temperatures don't don't stress you out too much, but I see we got a few lows in the 70s. So I'll be curious to see if, uh, you know, we get enough relief from that heat at night to kind of make sure pollination and kernel set uh, is strong. But, uh, you know, we've been through this before. We always pollinate through the heat of the summer and, um, you know, I'm still still feeling pretty good about where the crop's at, considering all the challenges we've had so far. Uh, I think we're still in a good spot, Ellie.
1: Yeah, I always come back to I think we've made this comment multiple times that we just keep hanging on by a thread and that's okay if we can keep that thread attached. But yeah, we'll see what this weather continues to do. Uh, we talked before the show too. It's hard to pull away heat pull a lot pull away in terms of of GDUs right now with such a high heat progressing in this part of the season, but we're still you know, running above average compared to the 20-year, which is nice to see. So we'll keep pushing this this crop along, certainly. Um, I think from a corn observation standpoint, we mentioned a lot of fungicide applications right now. Did just want to give a brief overview of what we're seeing disease-wise in corn currently. I've had quite a few questions on are we seeing tar spot, northern gray leaf spot, Um, anything of those sorts. Um, From my perspective, from what I can see disease-wise, I'm just starting to be able to find some really small gray leaf spot lesions developing. I would expect we could see those continue to progress this week, especially when you look at gray leaf spot is going to thrive in those environments where we have higher heat versus we start to think about northern corn leaf blight. If we had more moderate temperatures uh, with some moisture, we maybe see those type of lesions start to progress. From a tar spot perspective, I haven't yet s- seen or heard of anything in our listening area. Um, Josh, anything you've heard from those angles?
0: Yeah, no, no reports from the field yet. Um, I'll be back out there this week and, uh, be looking at things. And, and, and it was great when you mentioned the the northern corn leaf flight needing cooler temperatures, tar spots going to have really like those similar conditions to northern corn leaf flight. Um, yeah. And sometimes, you know, um, we can see that set in early a lot of times if we're going to see northern and tar spot it'll probably be into the month of august when we get uh you know some longer nights again and, and some more dewy wet leaf periods but um you know I, I would think um with the forecast we got in sight here uh the next 10 days it's going to probably not favor tar spot or northern corn leaf flight but uh, probably more of a gray leaf spot which something i the last three years we're, we're seeing more and more of um in southeast minnesota i'm not saying it's been a yield limiting disease but It used to be hard, uh, you know, not hard, but it wasn't something you'd run across very often. You know, now it seems like when we're out in September, doing a lot of crop evaluations, Allie, we we tend to see gray spot more and more each year.
1: Yeah. So, you know, from a disease perspective, that's what we're seeing. But do want to talk about a hot topic right now, and that would be corn rootworm beetles. So between the drought last year. Lack of heavy freeze this winter, just with those moderate temperatures, a lot of beetle populations out in the corn right now, even not only in the longer term corn on corn fields, you can walk into pretty much any field and find some pretty significant beetle populations, which, which leads us to the importance of, you know, pretty much all fields needing to be scouted for adult corn rootworms, in my opinion, both continuous corn and even just keeping an eye on your rotated cornfields. Um, you know, Josh, and I think also from a, a fungicide perspective, considering adding in the insecticide component to control the populations that we are seeing out there.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, we talked a lot about rootworm feeding uh, a few weeks ago, and now we're kind of into the adult stage there. Um, something we got to be scouting for. Uh, there are fields out there that have enough populations out there that, that could be yield limiting from a, a silk clipping standpoint. And so that's important to understand. And the other side of it is if we just start looking for the future You know, of control of corn, what worm it might have to be part of our our pest management program here, especially if we're going to go corn on corn next year to try to manage those populations. And and the the beetle emergence is is early, there's been a lot of beetle emergence ahead of pollination. So if we are out there doing a funduset application, um, we're going to time it pretty good. Will we get all of them? No. But I think we're timed out better to get good beetle control than what we've maybe seen in, in some other years where they're emerging too late to really time that out. But something we really want to be thinking about. And then on top of that, um, you know, just scouting, whether you'd be using sticky traps observations, it's a very underly, underutilized agronomy tool of scouting because it can really predict kind of what you need to do next year for control measures. And something I think we we'll want to spend a lot of time with here in late July, early August, getting an understanding of what those populations are and, and to kind of help us set up what we need to do for next year.
1: Yep, absolutely. At a break, we'll come back with more topics from the field.
0: Welcome back, listeners. Uh, Allie, uh, first segment there. We got through kind of a lot of the, the hot topics in corn right now, and as we get into segment two, we'll spend this segment uh, focused on soybeans and a lot of things kind of similar going on in the soybean crop. Fungicide applications are are kind of getting started, and our, a lot of our beans uh, are entering the stage for that, and then also getting a lot of questions on insecticide, and we'll cover some of that. But uh, you know, first, Sally, kind of what are you seeing from stage wise? I'm, I'm guessing we have some beans that are all of R3 and some that aren't quite there, but uh, what have you been seeing across the area?
1: Yeah. So from my opinion, I think R3 is certainly here, especially on some of our early maturities um, and varieties. And like we talked about, some of those early maturities can really blast through that stage a little bit quicker than you think they would. So keep an eye on those. As for the rest of soybeans, I think, you know, certainly a large majority they are getting really close to hitting full R3. Um depending on when you were planted and a lot will continue uh, to hit that, that prime stage over the next several days. What would be your, your take on staging for a little further East?
0: Yeah, very similar. Um, I think a majority of it is probably at R3. Uh, We may have some, some fuller season beans that we planted later, or maybe we took a crop of hay off or or something that we're we're not quite there, but definitely entering that, that sweet spot of finder site. It looks like we got a good window of weather uh, to get these applications done. Um, But also getting questions, you know, what are we seeing for bug pressure out there overall? Uh, From what I've seen, it's pretty light. Um, There's always a question of do we add insecticide at this time of the year or don't we? And that's always a kind of a coin flip thing, you know, trying to predict the future, what bugs are going to be. You know, the one thing I suppose we should be thinking about, Allie, you know, is, you know, a lot of us are thinking about soybean aphids. But when you do think about bugs, we have been pretty hot and dry. We should probably be double checking some spider mite pressure especially along the edge of the fields or along the ditch grasses where you'll maybe see that first just to make sure um, there's not, you know, not an issue with that. But uh, that'd probably be one thing I think we need to take a look at is don't worry about just soybean aphids. also look at what are some other hot dry pests like spider mites that we, that could justify an insecticide application. And it's always frustrating. You, you don't know what to do in this situation. Uh, you don't want to spray for something that isn't there. However, um, it always is a frustrating deal when you go out and spray and then four days later, you got bugs coming out your of your fungicide and you're out there again making another trip.
1: Yeah, and I agree with you. And, and I've not yet seen fields with extensive smiter, spider mite damage, but it is on my watch list because of the, the weather conditions that we have right now. I think as you're keeping an eye out for spider mites, just one thing to consider when you're talking about the insecticide, you'd want to consider you'd want to have either a loris ban or maybe a bifenthrin type product. Um, pyrethroids can tend to
0: flare up those populations. Correct, Josh? Yes, absolutely. And and that is something we always want to be kind of double checking is that we got the right insecticide for what we're targeting there sometimes we all put them in the same bucket of categories of you know bug juice is bug juice but there are differences and uh there's also some new products on the market that are, are pretty friendly to the beneficials and uh things like transform but um you know just always want to be looking at you know what are we targeting and what's the best insecticide do i need residual don't i need residual But uh there's a lot of things out there that I think sometimes get overlooked as just a general, just add some insecticide and and maybe don't think about, you know, what are we targeting and and what's the best residual for the situation that we're we're dealing with?
1: Yeah, good points. And I think too, and when we're looking at, adding an insecticide, think of the compounding factor between maybe multiple different pests that you might have in your field. I'm seeing a lot of Japanese beetles as well, you know, tends to take a lot for them to get up to a point of causing significant damage, but just another factor of something that's feeding on those plants out there. Um, And then, you know, if you look at, if we were to really dig into some research, there has been some research in the past that has shown a nice, we'll say synergistic effect when combining fungicides and insecticides on soybeans. So just another, another angle we're looking at there as well. So certainly let us know if you have any questions as you look to make these soybean soybean fungicide applications in the most favorable window here. Um, Josh, kind of sticking on soybeans here, as we move into next week across Southeast Minnesota, we will have some local days that are focused on um, Enlist and E3 specifically. We've had a lot of questions on that trait, um, and especially the different herbicide packages that work to, to best control weeds in those situations. Maybe just an overview of what folks could expect from those days, and if they're interested, who should they contact?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think to, uh, to handle the first side of that, um, we're, we're really excited about uh, the sites we have. Uh, the one that we have is is just south of Harmony, uh, Minnesota. Um, you know, these sites, they're not large in scale, but there's a lot going on, um, you know, and it's nothing that's overly hard to get through or, or walk through, but um, we got a lot of great things uh, from looking at you know, the performance of pre's versus, you know, skipping the pre and using posts. We have a lot of things going on of, uh, different mixes. When you think about Enlist, you know, being able to, to tank mix 2,4-D and Liberty because, you know, we can utilize AMS with 2,4-D. It's AMS friendly. Uh, there's combinations of that. We also take a look at, you know, um, just Liberty with a 2,4-D, just glyphosate with 2,4-D and, uh, and we also get into different weed heights. We get a different nozzles, different rates of water per acre and different weeds. Um, just a lot of great things going on. And I, I think as we think about, you know, how tough some of these weeds are getting control, it's a great way to showcase and, and and really, you know, take a look at, you know, the importance of some of these things and, and having a good plan moving forward. And, uh, yeah, that we'll be out there next Wednesday and Thursday. Um, so yeah, if you're interested, talk to your, your local pioneer sales rep, they'll get you signed up and get you a time slot. And, uh, you can come out and uh, see Allie and I, and we'll be out there uh, giving tours and sharing a lot of great information.
1: Yeah, so morning and noon sessions, both of those days, July 28th and 29th. And like Josh said, we will be locally leading um, the training there. So we hope to see you all out. Um, certainly as a reminder, if you have any questions on cornwortworm beetles and tracking those populations, let us know timings on some of these remaining fungicide applications. Certainly don't hesitate to reach out. We'll be back next week with more from what we're seeing from the field.
0: You've been listening to Today in Agronomy on KFILAM 1060. If you've missed part of the show or want to hear more, check out the show page at kfilradio.com or with the 103.1 KFIL app. Stay connected with Allie and Josh on Twitter. It's at Allie G-Wise, W-I-S-S-E, and at Josh Schaffner to submit your questions for the show. Tune in next Wednesday for the next Today in Agronomy on KFILAM AM 1060.